All right, and we are ready to go again. I didn't scare everybody away. It looks like we've got almost as many. Actually, we got more people. We only had 21 last time. I got 22. So we got more people. I must, they must have liked it. They came back. All right. Okay, assignments. I do this every day, starting now. Is there a question or, ladies? Question or? No. Oh, okay. I do this every day. I put, I'll put the assignments up so you'll know when everything is due. So there's an extra credit assignment that I'll be giving you later today that's due Monday. The sample quiz will be available today. It's not up there right now. If you looked earlier, I don't have it up yet. As I said, I was very busy yesterday. I left at 3 in the morning and got back at 7 at night and spent most of that on the road. So it was a very fun drive to and from Cleveland. <laughs> 13 hours, 13, took me six hours to get there and seven hours to get back. Of course, there's more traffic coming back and I also had my nine-year-old with me and she had to stop to go to the bathroom like four times, so it adds a little bit more time to it when you do that. But I will put that up after class. I'm gonna go work on getting that up there. So it'll be up there sometime today. You can experiment. The sample quiz, I'm gonna set it so you can take it as many times as you want. If you wanna keep going back into it, if you have to experiment with settings on your computer or anything to be able to do it, You'll be able to get in and out of that one as many times as you need to. There won't be any time limits or anything on it. And that'll be available now through Sunday. So you can look at it then. In fact, I'll probably stay through the 28th, but I probably won't even close. It'll be there for you to get back into all semester if you need to experiment with something. Quiz 1 will be available starting on next Monday. That doesn't mean go take it next Monday. It'll be based on the first couple of chapters or based on the material we cover this week and next week. So you might want to wait until later, but it'll be available through Sunday. So it's available that entire week. But you only get to go into that one one time. So you may want to wait until you've actually gone through all the lectures and heard all the material. Although I'll say, if you feel perfectly comfortable with it, you do have access to your books, you're welcome to go ahead and take it earlier. But once you've taken it, you're done. You're done. And then just as a reminder, I gave you homework one last time. Homework one is actually due September 2nd, which is next Friday. So I will try to keep this up and I'll update it just as we go throughout the semester just so you know what the next couple assignments are that are coming due. All right. Now we finished up. I got through the syllabus. I think I got through the whole syllabus, finally. Took, took the whole day, but we got through the syllabus. Syllabus used to be like a page and a half and now they're like 10 pages long. So unless you start compressing the fonts as I've been doing and making them smaller and smaller and smaller so you can don't have to print out a book for each class. So let me do our picture of the day first and then I have a couple of other housekeeping type things to finish up before we actually get started. But our picture of the day for August 24th is well not an astronomical picture that's actually not out in space that's actually what we call an iridescent cloud. So that's actually a cloud that's shaded like a rainbow. So you see the normal cloud in front of it, right? You see the nice dark puffy cloud which we're used to seeing out there? Well occasionally what we get is you get a very, very thin, relatively thin cloud where all the water droplets are about the same size. And it does the same sort of thing that when you look at you know, a streak of oil on water, real thin layer of oil, you get that shimmering rainbow. Well, we get a similar kind of thing here. And you can see there's red, there's violets, there's greens, there's yellows, everything through there. So it's a really pretty sight if you get a chance to see when they're not a very common thing. You know, you don't just go out and see them every day. 
This was taken, I don't know when this, when it was taken, it was taken over Ethiopia and they didn't give me a date. So I'm not sure exactly when it was taken. Some of these are current, some of them are pictures that could have been taken several years ago. But just an interesting phenomenon that if you get a chance to see, you know, if you ever have a chance, you see that shimmering cloud, you know it's a very, very thin cloud and it's reflected, it's just the way it, a very, very thin cloud reflects the different colors, the different colors of light coming through it from the light from the sun. So a pretty little picture, not actually astronomy directly related except that it's light coming from the sun, but a, pre a pretty one nonetheless. And we missed the aurora yesterday. Yesterday it was aurora. So even prettier there you get the aurora. I'll jump back and show you anyway. So you actually get the aurora here over Greenland. So bright green, bright green lights. If you've ever been far enough north to be able to see those, those are a pretty sight. Alright, now the other thing that I promised you is, I tell you I record the classes so everything is recorded up on iTunes for you and I was going to show you how to get to them. We ran out of time to do that last time and part of that is your extra credit assignment as well. The easiest way to get to them on this assignment, I give you the links, but of course it's kind of hard to clink, click on the link on a piece of paper so you have to type in this big long link. I can show you an easier way to get to them is if you go to itunesu.hack.edu and you should come up with a web page like this. It comes up there for a login and all that. You don't need to worry about any of this. You don't need to log in. If you've ever taken an instructor who's done this through a private class, you, know, you may have to, log, you have to log in to get to it, but all my stuff is in public. So you just click enter public and it will load iTunes and go right to Hack's web page. No, we don't need to fix that. Okay. And it will come up right to Hack's web page there on iTunes. So in, our, in the iTunes store, open that up. And then sometimes th this varies depending on what's new and who's uploaded things. So my classes may be there or may not be. We're the stellar astronomy class. But if you look at stellar astronomy classes, you're going to find that there's two. So I wanted to give you a warning on that. Let me see. Let me go into all of them. Yeah, you're going to see two stellar astronomy classes. You see, you see stellar astronomy here, and you'll see stellar astronomy here. This was last semester and over the summer. This is the new one. And you'll be able to tell if you go when you go into them because when you go into the current one, there's not as much in it. There's our class lecture from Monday. And I've also already uploaded my pre-recorded lectures for the rest of the semester. Now, it's not exactly what you'll hear from me here because something comes up different when I'm talking. Something else comes through my head and I might go out on a different tangent than I did when I was just sitting by myself recording. But they're there if you want to jump ahead and hear about something else or hear roughly what I'm going to say or review something. You can go ahead and get all of these. They're all free to download. <coughs> but those are the topics and the chapters that we'll be covering from chapter zero. Yes, the only book I've ever used that has chapter zero in it. Not chap doesn't start with chapter one. And then going through chapter 18 on life in the universe, which we'll be getting to in December. So if you want to jump ahead and hear what I have to say about something, you can download those. You're not required to download any of them. You know, it's not, I'm not requiring those. You can, through Hack, 
If you log on to Blackboard, you can actually download these in a video format too. Where you'll actually see the PowerPoints and still hear the same lecture, identical lecture. I just stripped out the video because I'm using their PowerPoints. I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten energetic enough to make up my own set of PowerPoints where they'd be mine and I'd own the copyright so I could broadcast them. Since I'm using their PowerPoints, I can't just put them up for the public. But they are on your class site because we're using the book, we're allowed to use them. So you can actually watch it in video too. Convenience here is that you can you know, throw it on the iPod and listen to it while you're driving or something if you want to review. If you've got that you know, 13 hour drive in a day that some people had to do, you know. You can sit there and listen to me instead of music. I'll put you to sleep, be careful. <laughs> okay. But what you need to do is if you want this, if you want to subscribe to this class, all you need to do is hit the subscribe free button. And it'll ask you if you're sure you want to. And then it will start. You'll see a little iTunes U. If you hadn't subscribed to an iTunes U, you see an iTunes U link up here. And you'll see it's downloading the most recent lecture. It will only download the most recent information unless you tell it, unless you tell it otherwise. So if you go into then in your iTunes U, uh, let's look at it that way. And there is Astronomy 104. It'll tell you everything you can get right now. And you can download any of those you want to. And it's the one that's dark up there, the 50 minute and 4 second one. I went 4 seconds over, I apologize yesterday. <laughs> so you can click on that one and play it and that'll play the lecture from Monday. So if you missed Monday and you want to go hear the lecture, you can go, li you can go listen to exactly what I told you about the syllabus and look through the syllabus. That's about all we did, so it wasn't, wasn't the most exciting lecture in the world, I know. But you've got to do that first day of class stuff. So that's, that's what you can do to, down, to access them. So try it if you want to do those. Again, they're not required. The one I'm requiring for the ex is for the extra credit assignment, so technically it's not required either, is the one that was called Photo of the Day. And let's see. That is this one for Astronomy 103 and 104. And what that is is the Astronomy Photo of the Day that we just talked about. Here you go, gentlemen. And you can download my discussion of that. Three, four, five of you here. Okay, there you go. Squeeze by you here. Excuse me, excuse me. So you can download that if you like. Again, you're not required to. I'm asking you to subscribe to it for the purpose of this extra credit assignment just to show that you've been able to go and do it. I'll be honest on it, I have no way to check who's, who is subscribed to them, so I can't tell that you've really subscribed to it. I appreciate if you just be honest on it. If you don't want to, just subscribe to it and unsubscribe, you know, to see that you can do it. I'm not requiring that you download all of these. Yes, ma'am? Um, it doesn't work the same way if you do it on an iPhone, and we do show you on our iPhone that we did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, okay. I'm just ask, I'm, I'm taking your word on it. If you tell me you subscribe to it, I'm going to take your word that you subscribe to it. There you go. So I mean, I'm not, I can't go and check. But what the extra credit assignment is, I'm taking your word. I have no way to go in. I can't go in and see who's downloading these. I can see how many downloads I get, but I can't tell. So you know, if 20 people say they did it and only five downloads, then I can tell somebody didn't. But I can't tell. I can't tell who. And I'm taking your word on it. If you email me and say yes, I subscribed, I'm, fi I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm not gonna. I have no way to double check you. So I'm asking you to do that, and then I'm asking you to send me an email. 
And they want you to use your Hawkmail address. So that's the other part of the extra credit assignment is using your Hawkmail. So if you email me from your Hawkmail address to my hack one that I gave you on the syllabus and tell me that you subscribed, I'm giving you 10 extra credit points. So easy enough to do. That gets everybody using their Hawkmail, which is what the school uses to communicate with you. And what I, if I have to email you somewhere outside of the class, that's the only way I can get a hold of it. You know, if there's an emergency and the class is canceled for some reason, you know, I'll put a sign on the door, but I can also email you if I know further, early enough in advance. You know, if I know at 6 in the morning, I can email you at 6 o'clock saying that I'm not going to be there today and save you a trip in if that's the only class you have or if you don't have to be in until 10 or 11 otherwise. So it's good if you have that activated. You also can, my understanding is that you can have it forwarded to another address. So you can go into Hawkmail, set it up, and have it forwarded to whatever you want. So you still get them direct. You get them directly. And you don't have to go check you know, emails in 20 different places, which is always a pain. So that's your first assignment due. And again, 10 points extra credit. Due by Monday, just email me by Monday. Now, if you're only going to do part of it, if you want to just tell me at some point that you subscribed, I'll write it down and give you the credit if you're not going to use the Hawkmail. You know, some people are very picky and don't want to use it, and I'm not, I'm not requiring it. I'm just, for a part of the extra credit, you can still get half. If you do one half or the other half, you can still get the five points. So you'll get half the points. Questions on that? No, no, no? We're ready to go, I know. And I will double check on the books and see what numbers they have, what quantities they have there. But you may have to go to the virtual campus, campus ones. All right, let's see. That was that, and we're ready to go. Now, chapter zero in this book is called Charting the Heavens. Chapter zero has a lot of material in it. In fact, the material covered in this chapter pretty much, it covers about three, almost three chapters worth in the Astronomy 103 class. So we're kind of breezing through everything here. And let's see, this isn't going to, still isn't going to work. Okay. They upgraded all the computers over the summer and now some of the, you know, like my little portable mouse to walk and click through the slides doesn't work. So we're going to check on that. But but again, it is the only book I've had so far that I've ever used that starts with chapter zero. And I usually cover this material in a lot more detail, but there's so much to cover in this class in terms of stars and galaxies and everything that we have to kind of breeze through the beginning of it. So if you've taken Astronomy 103, you've probably had a lot more of this material, so it'll be a review for you. Charting the heavens. Well, there's a picture of part of the heavens there. You can see very, very faintly, or probably can't if you're in the back of the room, can you see there's a very faint sort of purplish band almost going across? That would be the Milky Way. That is our galaxy. And I should say, I think I told you last time, these are all up on HackWeb. So if you want, if I'm going too fast for you to don't try to scribble everything down, you can, you can print out these slides and make your notes on them if you prefer for the future classes. But that's our Milky Way galaxy. That's our galaxy. Can't really see it very well in the back. Not very visible, I'm sure. No? Okay. There's a little faint band of light. That's all it is. If you ever had a chance to see the Milky Way, if you go out to a dark site, not, not from Harrisburg, you won't see it. You're lucky to see a few stars, sometimes the moon, you know. But our galaxy is a what we call a spiral galaxy. 
And we'll look at some pictures of those later on, but they're usually very pretty galaxies. They have like a central core here and they have beautiful spiral arms coming off of, coming off of them. We don't see that when we look at our own galaxy because we're, we're stuck inside it. An example I like to use is sort of comparing that, that we're trying to figure out what our galaxy looks like. We're getting the view from inside. We're stuck in that galaxy. It would be like trying to figure out what Blocker Hall looks like and sketch it out when the only place you can observe from is this classroom. Can't move around. So, you know, is there something above or below you? You've got, you've got a couple windows you can look out, but you can learn a lot more about the other buildings than you can learn about your own. If you can't move from this room, now if you can move around, of course, if we could go travel at hyperlight speeds and go zooming off and look from, at our galaxy from all different angles, we could see all parts of it. But we're very limited in what we can see from our galaxy. And what we'll find out later in the semester is that we use other galaxies in order to work backwards and determine what our galaxy might be like. So we could do the same thing here. You could look out at other buildings and say, oh, maybe that's what our building is like, or this is what our building is like. Maybe you could use some x-rays or something to look through a little bit and say, okay, there's another room on this side. But if you're stuck in the, and that's the, essentially the comparison, is that you're stuck in this room within the galaxy. We can't see outside. We can't see any further. We can't go walking around the galaxy and go look, and go look at what everything else is. So each of these chapters, each of these units starts off with a section of the different parts of the chapter. And I say we're going through quite a few things. And in fact, I said in 103 I cover, I take about three weeks to cover this. And we'll cover most of it this week. So, so we're just getting, you're just getting a very basic overview of some of this. The obvious view is just going to be what we see. Then we're going to talk about how the Earth moves, the moon, and look at things like measuring distances and the science and the scientific method. And our first activity lab that we'll do is a little bit more on science and scientific numbers and calculations and things that we'll do on Friday. So a little bit on that. And then I come back at the end and we just kind of summarize what we went through in the chapter. So that sort of just gives you a guide as to what we're going to be doing in this chapter. So first, and we've got some pictures. There's a pretty, prettier spiral galaxy than my own, you know. Camera does a lot better than you know, my little sketches on the board. There's a pretty spiral galaxy. But essentially, the biggest thing is that the Earth is average. You know, we're not anything special. We're one little planet here around one little star in one little galaxy. But there are you know, many billions of stars, hundreds of millions to billions of stars in the galaxy, and hundreds of millions to billions of galaxies in the universe. So if you think about that, if each one of those had, you know, if one in a hundred of them had an Earth, there'd be a lot of, a lot of Earths out there. So we're not really necessarily anything special. We also don't occupy any special place in the universe. And that's something we've only come to realize relatively recently. I mean, for thousands and thousands of years, the Earth was the center of everything. Until the... 14, late 14, early 1500s, the Earth was the center of everything. So everything moved around the Earth. The Earth didn't move, it sat there, and everything moved around it. But as we've moved out, we've learned now, first we learned that the Earth moves around the Sun. So we went from the Earth is the center of everything to the Sun is the center of everything. 
and then everything else orbited around that. And then as we've learned more in the last century, we found that not only is the Earth not special, the Sun isn't special, the galaxy isn't special, it's just all part of the great big universe. So there's really no, there is no special place in the universe. We don't occupy a special place, but not only that, but there actually isn't any special place. You, know, you talk about like things like the center of the universe, but there isn't a, the universe doesn't have a center in the way we're used to thinking about it. And we'll come back to that more towards the end of the class when we talk about the shape of the universe and everything. We'll talk about a little bit more about that. But the idea for right now is that we're, no, we're not any place special in the universe. So it just our perspective makes it looks like ev- look like everything is moving around us, but in reality it isn't. What is the universe? Universe is everything. So all the matter. All time, space, energy, everything. That just makes up the universe. So the universe is essentially everything. And astronomy is the study of that. The biggest thing we have to work with is the distances. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about distances today. But the scales are very, very large. When we talk about the universe, we use a concept called a light year. Anyone ever heard of, a, heard of the light year? You've heard of the idea? Light year is a distance. Sounds like it's a measure of time because it says year in it, but it's actually a distance. And it's about 10 trillion miles. Now I know I said I traveled a lot of miles yesterday, but I didn't come anywhere near close to 10 trillion. If I was traveling 10 trillion, I wouldn't be back. I wouldn't make it back by the end of the class. Not just the class today, I mean the end of the semester. I'd still be getting there, not even turning around to come back. In fact, you could travel your whole life and not travel 10, 10 trillion miles. It's a lot of miles. It's not the number we have a concept of. Now, 10 trillion, unless you're talking about, you know what, unless you're talking about what national debt or the or astronomical distances, that's the only time you use numbers that big, right? We don't talk about trillions and anything else, you know. You got 10 trillion dollars? That would be nice, huh? I mean, you're not, you, it's not a number you have a concept of. And it's so big that you really can't, you know, if I tell you something's 10 trillion miles away and something's 20 trillion miles away, does it have any meaning to you? And not really. But what I do, what we do is we convert it to light years. And light years doesn't change the distance. It's still just as far away, but it makes the number smaller. Our nearest star to us, other than the sun, is about 4.2 light years away. 4.2 you can understand, right? I mean, that's a number you can, I can count to four. Usually I can get to four. You know, so, you know, you, it's a number you can get to. Can't count to 10 trillion. You know, not in the class period, not in the whole semester. You're not going to get to 10 trillion. Not in your whole life. So you have that concept of 4.2. And if I tell you something is 4.2 light years and I tell you something else is five light years, you, know, you have an idea of how far they are away relative to each other. When you talk about 10 trillion and 11 trillion and 12 trillion, it's just it's all some big giant number. So we have to use that. And we have to scale down to much smaller units. And it makes them much more, much easier to comprehend. We talk about the nearest galaxy. So we look at, you know, we've got here, we've got people on Earth here. And as we zoom through this, then you'd have the Earth scale to the solar system, to the galaxy, the nearest galaxy, large galaxy at least, like our own, would be about 2 million light years away. 
still getting back to big numbers again, but a lot less than 10 trillion. 2 million is still pretty big, but a little more manageable. And there's actually another unit that we use called a parsec, but it's pretty close in scale to the, it's about three light years, so it really doesn't change your scale very, very drastically. Okay. Now when we look at the sky, stars that appear close together, so when we look at, anybody recognize the constellation? Anyone know any constellation? Seen that one? Orion? Yeah, that's Orion. That's one you might actually be able to see from Harrisburg. It's got a bunch of bright stars there. You won't see it now. It's a winter constellation, so you see it real good in like January. But it's got four bright stars and a kind of a rectangle that outline the body of the hunter and three bright stars for the belt. But that's what we see on the sky. So we see this. But if you were actually traveling out in space, if you make it three-dimensional, it doesn't look anything like that. All those stars are at vastly, at vast differences compared to, vastly different distances as compared to what we see on the sky. When we look at the sky, everything looks like it's the same distance away. If you see the sun and the moon on the sky, they just, they're, they're on the sky. They're that far away. So you can't really tell that they're any further. Stars, it gets even worse because there's no way to tell which is which is closer and which is further just by looking at them. You've got to make other kinds of measurements to, in order to determine the distances. So for example, in the belt, the three stars in the belt are the three furthest away. And the two stars, the upper two upper arms, are the two closest stars. The two legs are sort of in between. So if you project them out to the sky, we see, when we project them onto the sky, it makes the constellation. But if you were to travel out to some other place, if you could travel you know, 500 light years out towards Orion, well, all of a sudden, these two stars are going to be in one half of the sky, and the other stars are going to be on this side of the sky. So the constellations only have any meaning to Earth. They don't have meaning. If you were traveling else, if you could actually travel through the galaxy at extremely high speeds, things like constellations wouldn't have any meaning, the constellations we use on Earth. Another planet around one of these stars would have a completely different set of constellations. You know, if you lived on a planet orbiting this star, for example, you know, part of Orion would be down here, part would be up there. You know, Orion wouldn't be Orion as we know it. And they'd have a completely different set of constellations. So again, that's some, one of the concepts here that what we see on the sky isn't exactly what we see actually in space. Now sometimes it, sometimes it is. There are stars that are double stars, binary stars that actually orbit each other. And they are close together in space. But it takes measurements in order to be able to figure that out. The Big Dipper. People have seen the Big Dipper probably? Most, most everybody? Okay. The, the Big Dipper has a handle. Has what? It has a handle like that and then sort of a bowl. And it's got star there, star there, there. One, two, three, like seven stars or so. Well, the one in the Dipper, the one in here is actually what we call a double star. Not a binary. I said binary. Binary were ones that are orbiting. This one is actually a double star. There's two stars very close together in the handle. And if you have really, really good eyesight or really, really good glasses, you can see that there's two stars there. Used to be a test of eyesight. 
to tell whether you could see that there were two stars there or not. But there again, it's a projection effect like this. They just happen to be located very close to each other. So try it sometime. Test your eyesight. You know, if you've got real good glasses, real good, real good eyes, you may be able to see that as two stars. I can't even with my glasses. But all right, let's go on here. The celestial sphere. So this is sort of what I talked about the last time. The celestial sphere is the sky. When we're looking out at the sky, that's what we see. But we use the celestial sphere, and again, it only works on Earth. If we go anyplace else, we have to, you'd have to do a completely different set of measurements. But the stars look like they're on the surface of this big sphere that's orbiting around the Earth. So even though we know that's not the case, we still use it for measurements. So there's the Big Dipper, Cassiopeia, Orion's hiding off over on the side here. A couple of constellations you may recognize the names of. But then we have and we take the Earth and we use that to determine coordinates on the sky. So we can find locations of different objects on the sky. So when I want to tell you where something is on the sky, you can get a set of coordinates on the sky. We use latitude and longitude on the Earth, right? So I can tell you some things that, you know, 40 degrees latitude and 80 degrees longitude and you can get a map and probably get a rough idea of, ex of where it is. Or put the numbers into your GPS nowadays and say exactly where it is, right? So you can do that. But we can do the same kind of thing on the sky. We can take the Earth's equator and just imagine it projected straight out to the sky and where it intersects the sky is what we call the celestial equator. So that's right here. So that's the same, same as the equator on the Earth. It divides the celestial sphere into the northern and southern hemispheres. Northern hemisphere is mostly what we're used to seeing. A lot of the southern hemisphere, we never get to see it all up here. So unless you go down south of the equator, you don't get to see all the, all the different constellations that are located down there. And we do the same thing with the poles. If you imagine the Earth's pole standing on the Earth's North Pole and looking straight up, the North Celestial Pole would be straight above you. Polaris, we've heard of Polaris, right? Pole star? Okay, good. Polaris is the pole star. It happens to be located very close to the pole right now. So we're fortunate in the Northern Hemisphere. There is a star located very close to the North Celestial Pole, which hundreds of years ago was very nice for navigation. Not so much anymore, right? Now we've got all the portable GPS's and everything, so you can find out exactly where you're going. You know, even I can't get lost. Well, never mind. Anybody can still get lost, right? But you used to be able to use it, because you knew what the, if you knew what the altitude of the pole was, you knew where, roughly where you were on Earth. You could figure out where you were. And you use the same thing on the sky. You know where the pole is. It stays in the same spot on the sky. Polaris is very close to the pole and stays very close to the pole. So it doesn't move, it doesn't move very much. It does move a little, it's not exactly at the pole, and it doesn't stay there forever. So the pole actually is very slowly moving through the sky. So actually the pole star changes, but not over times that are useful for us. It's over many thousands of years. So you know, over our lifespan, the North Pole star isn't going to change. Over many thousands of years, it will.
But that's what we're going to look at. There's, it's another set of coordinates like latitude and longitude in order to determine positions on the sky. Now before we go to that, I've got to do a little bit more about degrees. On the sky, everything is measured in angles. So we can't really measure. If I look at the moon out there, I can't tell you, you know, the moon is an inch across or the moon is a foot across. I mean, you, you don't use a linear measure. You know, I can't grab a ruler and hold it up to the moon and say how big it is, right? It's not going to work because if, if your arm is shorter than mine, then you're going to measure different or longer. It's going to be all different. Angles are always the same. And, but most angles in astronomy are very, very small. A full circle is 360 degrees, right? All the way around a circle, 360 degrees. But we've got to subdivide each of those degrees. So there's one degree. If we take that degree and split it into 60 parts, sort of like time. So you take the one degree, you split it into 60 arc minutes, then you'd have one arc minute. The moon on the sky is half a degree. And that's one of the biggest objects you see, right, in the sky? At least astronomical objects, not counting clouds and things. It's about half of this, so it's about one, it's about 30 arc minutes, so about half of this, or half of one of these lines. The moon and the sun are both about that same size. That's the largest object. Well, the largest easy to see object. There are other ones that actually extend over larger areas, but they're not really something you can see with your eye. You need a telescope to make measurements of it. So that's the largest. So when we start talking about planets and how big they are, or galaxies, or star, stars even, you've got to not only take that, this degree has been divided into 60 parts, we divided this into 60, then we subdivide it again into 60. So you take one degree, divide it into 60 to get arc minutes, and divide that, each of those 60s into 60 to get arc seconds. So you're dividing this one little degree into 3,600 pieces. Very, very tiny angles. One of the things we use those to measure, some of them are the size of different objects in the sky, but we also use it to measure distances to the stars by how much they move. The amount that they move for the closest star is less than one second of arc that we have to be able to measure. So astronomers have to be able to measure, you know, not things as big as the moon, but they're looking at things that are one, one well, for the moon, one eighteen hundredth of the moon. So take the moon, divide it into eighteen hundred little pieces, and we have to measure motions that small. So that's why we use some of these very, very small angular measures. But it's, it's easy enough to remember, you divide it just like you divide time, think as the degrees as hours, and then you just divide each hour degree into sixty minutes and each minute into 60 seconds. You're just making much, much smaller sections. How big an object is depends on two things. It depends on how big it really is and how far away it is. Sun and the moon, right? They look the same size in the sky, pretty much. Don't stare at the sun too much, I know, but they look about the same size in the sky, but they aren't really the same size. One of them is a lot bigger than the other, right? Sun's a lot bigger than the moon. Much, much bigger than the moon. But it's also much further away. And by a nice coincidence, it's exactly the distance away it needs to be to make them be the same size. 
that makes eclipses interesting. Eclipse wouldn't be interesting if the sun were much bigger than the moon and it were just a little speck going across the sun. Nobody would ever notice it. It wouldn't be such a big deal. If the moon were much bigger than the sun, you know, if this is the moon and the sun's some little small thing here because we're even further away, well, the moon's going to block it all the time and it won't be a big deal. It's just sort of a happy coincidence that everything, they happen to be ex- almost exactly the same size. So being that, it makes it scary, you know, thousands of years ago when the sun just disappeared exactly. Is it going to come back? We know it will now, but did you know that 2,000 years ago? So it's sort of a coincidence by that and makes it interesting. But that tells us about the angular sizes. So now going back to two slides ago, what we were talking about, I was talking about the celestial sphere and the coordinate systems. This is, these are the names for the two that we use. Declination is just like latitude. And right ascension is just like longitude. The details here, I'm not looking for you to worry about the de- what, how it's measured. I'm really looking for you just to know the two and how they compare to that on the Earth. So if you think of declination as being similar to the latitude on the Earth, so declination is how far above or below the equator you are. And right ascension tells you the longitude, it tells you how far you are around from a zero point, which we use, our zero point is where the sun is at the first day of spring. You have to pick a zero point there because celestial equator, there's a very easy zero point. There's no easy zero point going the other direction. Sort of like in longitudes on the Earth. Anyone know where we define longitudes from? No? No? Greenwich, England, the observatory in England near London is defined to be zero. And it was just done, it wasn't It was just done by convention. A group of countries got together and said, here's where we're going to define zero, so we're all using the same system. Because before that, England used one that went through London. France used one that went through Paris. You know, Germany would have gone through Berlin, and it would have been all. So if you're trying to compare where you are, well, are you using the German system, or the English system, or the French system, or the Spanish, you know, what system are you using? So they just agreed that here is where we're going to make the zero point. And we did the same thing in astronomy. We just said, okay, the position of the sun on the first day of spring. Vernal equinox is the first day of spring. Fancy name for first day of spring. So we just had to pick a point. And that's the same, that's what we've done here. Okay. So main, main again, compare them. Latitude is declination, longitude is right ascension. Now how does the earth move? Again, we don't, we don't see it. We don't feel like we're spinning around on our axis and then zooming around the sun all at the same time. But we are. The daily cycle of motion we're used to seeing, right? The sunrise and the sunset from noon to noon is what we call a solar day. So that's what we use for time. The solar day is 24 hours long. Now you've probably heard the day is 23 hours and 56 minutes too. Anyone heard that? Okay. That's correct, but the solar day that we actually use is really 24 hours. It does take 24 hours for the sun to come back to the same spot in the sky. So one day is 24 hours long. What's 23 hours and 56 minutes is how long it takes the Earth to spin once. So the Earth spins on its axis every 23 hours and 56 minutes. 
But as it does that, so if we're looking at the Earth here and we're looking at some point, if we look at this point A, one day later point A is back pointing in the same direction. But the Earth isn't sitting still. The Earth is moving. So during that time, from this, during that day, the Earth has gone from here to here. So the Earth has spun once on its axis, relative to all these different stars, this line is pointing in the same spot. But it's not pointing to the Sun yet. Right? It's not quite pointing at the Sun yet. The Earth has to turn a little bit more. That's that extra four minutes. It will take it four minutes. So it took 23 hours and 56 minutes to get here. Then it takes an extra four minutes for it to turn back to get the sun back in the same spot. And it's because we're moving around the sun at the same time. If we were sitting still, then the day would be 23 hours and 56 minutes regardless, because that's how long it takes the Earth once to spin on its axis. It's the fact that we are moving at the same time. So not only are we spinning on our axis in 23 hours and 56 minutes, but we're moving around the sun. So when we've moved to here, we've changed position. So that's one day. That's 23 hours and 56 minutes. The Earth spun once, but the sun isn't quite back to overhead, back to where it should be. Close, real close, within a degree, but enough that it takes that extra four minutes. And that will be called, that makes it the solar day. That's what we use for timekeeping. So the solar day is really 24 hours. That is how long it takes. You know, day to day for the Earth from noon to noon is exactly one solar day. But it's not how long the Earth takes to spin on its axis. The Earth takes 23 hours and 56 minutes to spin on its axis once. Okay, so a couple little tidbits here. Let's see. Now while we're moving, you probably recognize most of these constellations, right? Taurus, Aries, Pisces, Cancer, Leo, Virgo. We know them all? Okay. Constellations of the Zodiac. The ones for the horoscopes, right? Those are the constellations. Why are they so important? If you look at them all, have you ever seen any of these constellations in the sky? People have seen the Big Dipper in Orion. Have you seen many of these? Which one? Uh, uh, I was going to ask a different question. Oh, go ahead. But, um, where is the 13th one located? 13th one is actually located over towards, I think it's over towards Scorpio and Sagittarius. Ophiuchus. Yeah. And actually we do a lab later in the semester with that. We actually go through and look at where the sun is each day. But yeah, but most of these you don't see. Most of them are not very bright constellations. Scorpio isn't very bad. Scorpio is one you can see. Libra is a very, very faint constellation. Cancer is extremely faint. Taurus and Gemini are relatively bright. Aries is almost invisible. Aquarius, Pisces, Capricorn. Most of those are not very bright, prominent constellations. They're important for one reason that has nothing to do with horoscopes, is that that's where the sun happens to travel. So again, we're looking at the Earth as staying still. We watch the sun move over the course of the year. The sun appears to travel through these constellations. So that's your sun sign, right? Where the sun was when you were born. Or supposedly, because when you do the lab and you do it for your birthday, you find out you're usually about a constellation off. So you're actually one constellation off from where you think you should be, depending on how you measure it. Again, one of the labs we'll work on later in the, later in the semester. 
But the only thing that they're, the only reason they're important, or the main reason they're important, is that there are, they're where the sun happens to travel over the course of the year. Now again, the sun isn't really traveling, it's us moving. And as we move, in March we're here, so the sun would appear to be in Pisces. And then the constellations we could actually see in March are the ones directly behind it, so we'd actually see you know, Virgo and Leo and Libra would be visible. In June, you'd be able to see these constellations. Sagittarius, Capricorn, because the sun would be in you know, Gemini, Taurus, Cancer area. So you're seeing the, you're seeing the opposite of where we are. So we're, we're on that side of the, of the, we're on that side, but we're seeing the sun projected onto the sky. But that's all the constellations of the zodiac are. All they are, are the ones the sun travels through over the course of the year. And again, as you said, there is a 13th. There is actually a constellation called Ophiuchus that's over here. That the sun actually spends more time in Ophiuchus than it does in Scorpio. So if you're a Scorpio, it's very odd to be, very rare to be born. It only takes like six or seven days that the sun actually passes through the constellation of Scorpio. So if you happen to be a Scorpio, you have to be born in those little tiny, little teeny tiny range. All right. Seasons. So you're getting, just getting a lot of terms here. I'm just trying to give you a taste for them. I'm not going into a lot of detail on these because the idea is to get through here and we want to get to the get to the sun and the stars and the galaxies. But let me finish up this, start on this slide and then we'll come back here and finish up on Friday. The ecliptic is the plane of the Earth's pass along, around the sun or the path of the sun on the celestial sphere. So it's where we see the sun travel over the course of the year. That's the zodiac. So the ecliptic goes right through the zodiac. The ecliptic is just the path, think of it as the path of the sun over the year. So it goes right through the zodiacal constellations. And it's tilted a little bit. It's tilted at 23 and a half degrees. That's the tilt of the earth. So we're pointed, so the earth instead of orbiting straight up and down is actually tilted at an angle. So in summertime we're tilted towards the sun. In wintertime we're tilted away from the sun. And that's what's giving us our seasons. The combination of the day length, right? We've got a lot longer days. You know, the sun's up at 6.30 or 7 o'clock still right now and doesn't set till 8 or 9. But give it a couple months, by the end of the semester it won't be rising till 8 o'clock. You know, it'll still be almost dark when we come into class. And it'll get dark a lot earlier. So you've got a lot less daylight in the winter. And as it tilts away, that same amount of light from the sun is getting spread out over a bigger area. It's not as concentrated as it was during the summer when you're tilted towards the sun. So you get less concentration of sun, you get less concentration of sunlight and a shorter day makes it a lot colder. And that's what's giving us the seasons. Again, it has nothing to do specifically with the distances. We're closest to the sun in January. So we're actually closest in January, furthest away in July. Not a big difference. The Earth's orbit is almost exactly a circle, but we actually are a little bit closer to the sun in January. Now I'll give you the rest of those terms. Since we're hitting 10 of, I'm going to go ahead and stop. And I'll give you the rest of those terms and we'll finish this up. And I should be able to finish through the rest of this on Friday and then we'll be working on a, a lab the second half. I, I try to avoid as much as I can making you listen to me for two straight periods. So. 
give you a lab, to give you a listen to me a little bit, and then we'll do then we'll do a lab and finish up the second half. So we'll probably finish up this chapter. It's a relatively short chapter. We'll finish this up on Friday. So look at the extra credit assignment. If there are questions on it, do feel free to ask me, email me, ask me on Friday. You know, let me know if there's problems with getting into anything. Let me know. But we'll come back and we'll pick up here again on Friday.